it is amazing to see each and every one of you here today. And I'm so excited to be here and to bring the word as we continue in our Becoming Heartstrong, moving our way through the scriptures. So our message today is called, is asking this question, how do we grow in loving the right things more? This is what we're going to be pondering as we focus on 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. So if you have your Bibles and you're following along, you could open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5, and we're going to be kind of uh, ping-ponging around in there. What we see in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, so that's 1 Corinthians, is Paul is confronting sin patterns. He's talking about the um, sanctification process. How do I actually walk out this faith and this gospel gift that I've been given? In 2 Corinthians, Paul uses these three analogies to help us understand ourselves in relation to God. And this is where we're going to kind of park today. Jars of clay, tents, and ambassadors. Now, sometimes even as I'm preparing uh, a message and I'm just spending time with the Lord and listening to what he wants me to share, I many of you come into my mind. I, I see your faces and I wish that I could actually just sit with you in my living room. Like, I wish that we could just have a coffee together. I could make one of my muffins and we could have it together and we could just have a chat. I love each of you so much. And I want you to know that you are here for a reason. You're not just here, maybe just because you decided to come to church today or because you feel like I should be in church or you feel like you're here for a reason, for a purpose that is greater than yourself. And I pray that today that that something clicks inside of your spirit to understand a little bit more about this gift, this treasure that you have been given. So let's just imagine that we're sitting in my living room for a minute and just indulge me in this space, whether you're live here in the room or you're watching online for a minute. And if you were with me, I would ask you, what kind of adventure movies do you like to watch? Now, I'm talking about the adventure movies that start with, you know, the main character is getting some sort of invitation that they have to go on a, a treasure hunt of some sorts. And they're like, no, it's not me. I don't want to do it. But they've got the map and all of a sudden the clues are coming and they realize I have to do this. I have to save the entire universe, probably, most likely, from destruction unless I go on this great journey. And always the plot is the same. There's some sort of map or clue, a way to follow. There's lots of obstacles. There's lots of struggle along the way. And then there's always an enemy. There's always somebody that's working against them. There's somebody that does not want them to uncover the real power that's on the other side of this treasure. So if we were sitting in my living room, I might ask you, and I'd love for you to just indulge me in this moment today, what kind of adventure movie do you like? Are you like the Lord of the Rings type? So where are the Lord of the Rings fans? You're like, yes, I love that kind of fantasy, that kind of journey, that kind of adventure. Okay, how about Pirates of the Caribbean? Pirates of the Caribbean fans, you like those movies? A little bit of humor in there, a little bit of fun. Okay, what about, um, this is a little bit of an old one, National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, good one. It's a good one. If you've never seen it, it's kind of old, but it's a good one. Okay, this is... 
a newer one, and if you have kids, you might have seen it. It's called The Lost City, Sandra Bullock. The Lost City, anyone? Yeah? Cute? Fun? Funny? Okay, now I'm going to age myself a little bit. So, back in the day, what about like the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah? Yeah? Romancing the Stone, these kind of ones? Okay, okay, they're good ones too. They're all good ones. And and for the young people in the house, if you're kind of younger than me, the generation below me, and you've never seen that series, it's worth a a go back. Now, I do want to say, and I just want to state just for the record, that I was only seven years old when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, because I'm right at the, like, you know, right at the, the, the threshold of moving into a new decade, but I would like to stay in the decade that I am for as long as I can, so I'm still quite a, a young spring chicken. I was just a child, a young child when that movie came out. <laughs> so now you can know a little bit about my age and where I'm at. Okay, now what about, are there anybody here that likes to read the end of a book or kind of likes to know the end of the, the movie before you start? Like you feel like... I just, there are some of you, okay. This is a safe place, and you are most welcome to be honest about that, but I don't get you. Like, what? (laughs) I do not get that at all. But, okay, how about if someone says to you, okay, I've got some good news and I've got bad news. What do you want first? What do you want first? Just shout it out. Okay, so we're mixed. I hear good news, bad news, good news, bad news. Pastor Jason is really funny when we watch movies or shows together, and I love this about him. It's kind of an endearing thing that he will talk through the whole show or movie. And what has happening is he's like, he's preparing himself for what is about to happen, for the bad thing that's about to happen. And it's almost like his heart is so tender that he, he's literally like, I have to be ready for the worst case scenario. So he's shouting at the movie, the worst case scenario. So he's like, oh, that's guy, that guy's going to die. That guy's going to die. He's getting written off the show. Oh, they are never getting back together. That's it. He'll be like, he'll be like, oh, that guy's getting shot. Just wait. And I'll be like, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. He's like, oh yeah, that guy's getting shot. But he just, he has to say it out loud because he's just got to be prepared in case like it's going to get like real dark. You know what I mean? It's going to get really bad. And I, I kind of love that about him. And I just, I find it so, so endearing. Now, for those of you who do like to know the ending before the beginning, I got you today because although we're going to focus on 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, um, we're going to start at the very last verse of chapter 4. The gospel is even better than just knowing what's going to happen. Today, we're going to see and we're going to uncover how incredibly kind how incredibly good, how incredibly gracious God is towards us. So good that he gives us a treasure that is a free gift and he makes it plain and he says, here, I've done all the work through my son Jesus and all you have to do is receive it by faith. All you have to do is believe. And this is good news. The gospel is both the beginning and the end because God is both the alpha and the omega. It all begins with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's the starting place and the ending place because it's the foundation of what we really believe to why we have this salvation and how the one true God sees and relates to us. It's the greatest treasure we could ever be given. 
You know, we often say in our testimonies, I found Jesus. I was searching. I was searching. We just sang it. I searched the world and I found salvation. But today we're going to see that you and I really didn't find anything. We were given a free gift from our creator, a costly gift, a treasure beyond all treasure. You know, it's like your and my life is an adventure movie, but the movie goes like this. At the very beginning of the story, you're given a treasure box and you're given the key. It's yours. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to earn it or struggle. It's a free gift handed to you by God. Now there is an enemy in your story, one who does not want you to open this treasure. One that does not want you to receive it or believe that it's yours. And every obstacle and darkness and fear in your way is part of your enemy's plan and scheme to keep you from unlocking the power inside this treasure. The enemy is the devil or Satan. And he's not just your enemy, but he's God's enemy. He's ultimately God's enemy working against God's plans for your life because he wants to be the ruler of your life. Now, we're gonna start in a little bit of a theological place. We're gonna go just a little bit of heartstrong style before we dive into the rest of the chapter today because there are some very deep theological truths that I believe that God wants to bring a deeper revelation for each and every one of us today to understand and know this treasure that we have. Now, I don't know what you were like in school, but in school, the, the, the style of learning was not created for a personality like me. Put me beside the window and I was fine. I just stared outside the window all day long until, until I got to post-secondary education, I started to learn something I was extremely interested in learning. And so I don't know if you're like me and you're like school or you hear theology and you're like snore, I'm going <laughs> to doze off and have a sleep. Before you do, I want to ask you to stick with me. And I'm going to make an assumption here today that you're here and you're in church. And so I'm going to make an assumption that you are here because you want to learn more about God. And so I'm going to try to make it easy for us to understand. And the expectation and my hope is not that you remember all these theological words. It doesn't matter. But I want you to understand the depth of the meaning of this gospel and this treasure that we have. The depth and the power that it gives us to walk out our faith and our life. And so if you leave with a greater understanding of that, amen. I'm happy. So stick with me. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if I break that down, for our sake, that's you and me, for our sake, he made him, that's God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, Christ knew no sin, so that in him, that is Christ, you and I, we might become the righteousness of God. 
Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of the most important verses in all of scripture for understanding the meaning of atonement and justification. And here we see that the one who knew no sin, who is Jesus Christ, and that he, God, made him Christ to be sin. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Jason opened up our Becoming Heartstrong season two, talking about atonement and justification. I don't know if you remember. He broke down that word and he said, atonement at one moment. At one moment, Jesus pardoned, that's what atonement means, pardoned us from sin. Jesus became our sin. Justification means being found in right standing with God. This is a legal term, a legal standing, a legal position that we are being found in right standing with God. So this means that God the Father made Christ to be treated as sin, even though Christ himself never sinned. And he did this for our sake. That is God regarded or treated our sin, okay, the sin of all who would believe in Christ. That is the sin all of the past, before Christ and after Christ and all the sin that will come. As if our sin belonged not to us, but to Christ himself. So in becoming sin for our sake, Christ became our substitute. That is, Christ took our sin upon himself as our substitute. And he bore the wrath of God, the punishment against sin that we deserve. He did this in our place for our sake. Now, what we need to understand is that God is perfect. He's holy. He is without sin. So in order to be reconciled, in order to be made right with God, in order to be able to be in relationship with God, we needed to be made righteous. We needed to be reconciled. So the technical theological term for this foundational belief and this foundational doctrine is this, substitutionary atonement. I want you just to say that, substitutionary atonement. And what that means is that Christ has provided the atoning sacrifice as our substitute for the sins of all who believe. Now, another theological term to describe what Christ has done for us is this word, propitiation. I want you to say that, propitiation. Now, I don't know about you, if you find it as fun as me to say, I just find that word propitiation is like fireworks happening in my mouth. I feel like I have pop rocks happening. I love it, propitiation. It's fun to say, you could just say it all day long, propitiation. What it means though, it has such an incredible meaning. What propitiation is, is that our, not only have our sins been wiped away, so it means our sins have been wiped away, in the death of Christ, but God's wrath was satisfied or appeased. So that means God accepted Christ's payment for our sin and his wrath against sin was appeased. And not only that, it doesn't even end there. It turned into favor. Christ became sin for those who believe in him so that we might become the righteousness of God. So this means that just as God imputed, so this is another theological term, and imputed means treats as though it belongs to. It's kind of like given, but given is not quite enough. It's like it's yours. It belongs to you. It is your identity. It's who you are. 
God imputed our sin and our guilt onto Christ, made him to be sin. God also then imputes the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that is not our own, but as though it was to all who believe in Christ. Because Christ bore the sins of those who believe, God regards and treats believers as having the legal status of righteousness. This righteousness belongs to all believers because they're in him, that is, they are in Christ. And then we see Romans 8 where we get, there is therefore now, and you can say it with me, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is the heart of the doctrine of justification. God regards or counts believers as forgiven. God declares and treats them as forgiven because God the Father has imputed the believer's sin to Christ and because God the Father likewise imputes Christ's righteousness to the believer. And this is the foundation that we see in this very last verse of the chapter, but it is not just the end of the story. It's also the beginning of the story. You see, we've been given this free gift, a treasure, and now God looks at us through the righteousness of Christ. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. So for your sake and my sake, God made Jesus to become sin. Now, Jesus did this willingly. It was God's plan, but Jesus said again and again, I do so of my own accord. No one makes me give my life, I do so of my own accord. He's doing it in obedience to the Father, but he is doing it by choice because he knows the result and the power of this sacrifice. Even though Jesus had never sinned, although the scriptures say he was tempted in every way. He was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, yet he did not sin. So that in Christ, we who believe by faith might become the righteousness of God. God imputed our sin on Christ. Christ became our sin. God imputed Christ's righteousness on us. We become Christ's righteousness. What a treasure. A treasure greater than anything we could ever acquire in this world. Thank you, God, for your loving, gracious kindness towards us. The extravagance of your love and the extravagance of your grace is more than we have words to say. So what do jars of clay, tents, and ambassadors all have in common? Well, they're containers, containers filled with something, something that's important to us. So how do we grow in loving the right things? Let's rewind on the VCR for a minute. Do you hear the sound? We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and set up chapter 4. Now, I want to just speak over you and into you, right into your spirit, almost like prophesy this into your spirit. A couple of verses in chapter 3 as we set up to go into chapter 4 today. And so if you're comfortable to do so, I just encourage you maybe just open up your hands and just receive these words of life. The word of God is living and active and I just want to speak these living and active words right into your spirit today. 2 Corinthians 3, I'm going to read verse 4 to 6, and I'm going to read verse 17 and 18. Such is this confidence that we have through Christ toward God. 
Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is spirit. And this sets up the beginning of chapter four, where it says, therefore, so therefore, because of all that we just read, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So what do we pull from these verses? My sufficiency comes from God. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And through God's mercy, we do not lose heart. I just want to stop here and just pray into this moment because I believe that some of you are sitting here today, maybe just one person, and you feel like you've lost heart. You feel like the circumstance that you're facing or what is ahead of you is impossible, that you can't even imagine life moving on from that place. And I just want to speak into your spirit today. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I believe that we are in an atmosphere of freedom. I believe that we are in a place where the spirit of the Lord is at work and there is freedom available for you and I. And so I just pray in Jesus' name that if there is anybody here who has lost heart, who does not know if they can make it to tomorrow, God, I break any lies of the enemy in the name of Jesus that would tell them that they're not supposed to be here, that they're not worthy of this treasure, that it wasn't for them, that it's for someone else, that they're insignificant somehow, that they've been overlooked. And God, I speak over them today a new and fresh identity in the name of Jesus, a new spirit of freedom to walk in, God, we thank you for the power of your word and we receive it today in Jesus' name. There are some of you here today who weren't planning to come to the freedom session. We have a freedom session today at two o'clock, but I believe that you're supposed to be here. That there is something that God wants to actually unlock for you. That there's a space that you've been hitting the same wall again and again and again, and God wants to bring freedom to that area today. So I encourage you, even if you weren't planning to be here, come today at two o'clock for our freedom session. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So this idea of jars of clay, it pulls us all the way back to the book of Lamentations. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how are they regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand? Lamentations 2, 4 verse 2. And then we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So earthen pots, jars of clay, the ordinary holding the extraordinary. Paul is contrasting the weakness and frailty of our humanity. We are these earthen vessels, these clay pots. Isaiah 64, 8 says, but now, O Lord, you are the father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. 
We're fragile. We're weak vessels. And yet we're given this supernatural, miraculous treasure, which is our salvation, which takes us from the natural to the eternal. It connects us to our greater purpose and gives meaning to our suffering and gives us access to the truest places of life and joy and peace and hope that go far beyond our circumstance. You see, these jars of clay, they represent a limited capacity. You can only fill the jar with as much as the jar can contain, and yet the treasure that is inside has limitless possibility and eternal significance because with God, all things are possible. In Christ, we actually connect to something far greater than the limits of sort of the physical and natural world or body or circumstance. You see, Jesus, he turned water into wine and the wine was held in a container, but it never ran out. The widow who fed Elisha, her last bit of oil and flour, the Lord caused it to never run out. Jesus said, I'm the living water, drink from me and you will never be thirsty again. And the woman with the alabaster jar, she broke it and she poured out the oil on the feet of Jesus. The oil that would prepare him for his death, a death that then in turn he would bear all of our sins. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel the realities of these physical limits all the time. I've entered into this sort of new season where I feel like I have limited energy, limited capacity. I, I feel like I've got a certain amount of change in my pocket and all day long I'm spending it. And then once it's spent, it's spent. And I'm like, I am done. I feel like there's a little bit of a lower threshold for stress and even a lack of motivation in some of my disciplines. As I get older, I feel feel the limitation of my physical body. And as my body changes, it brings me face to face with the reality that this earthen vessel, it's temporary. And Paul actually describes it as wasting away. Can you relate? Can you relate? The scriptures, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10 and 16 to 18 say this, and I'm sure that you have heard it before. It says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And I love this. I love this verse 16 because it starts again with what it said at verse one. So we do not lose heart. Although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal I know that many of you are facing very difficult long physical and circumstantial struggles I know you know what it is to be acquainted with the outer self literally feeling like it's wasting away. 
but is your inner self being renewed day by day? I'm here to tell you that it's available to you. That is available to you, that even what you do not see in your circumstance and even what you do not see in your physical body, that there's an internal renewal that can take place every single day where your spirit is being built up in the midst of what looks like it's being torn down. Paul is so good at elevating his own weakness in order to help people know that they are not alone and to elevate the sufficiency of God's grace for each and every one of us. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness, Paul would say. Why? Because my sufficiency comes from God. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And through God's mercy and his grace, we do not lose heart. You see, Paul wants to elevate our faith to see that God is at work supernaturally, even as our physical bodies deteriorate. The less reliant that we are on this jar of clay, our physical body, the more we can live from the treasure that is inside the pot. The weaker we are, the more reliant on God we need to be. Oh, help us, Lord, to embrace our weakness. Now let's talk about tents for a minute. Tents in the Old Testament were carriers of the presence of God. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul's referring to our physical bodies, again, as carriers of the Holy Spirit of God. You are literally a carrier of the presence of God. Jars of clay hold something, and tents equally hold something, but they go a step further. They not only hold something, but they house or inhabit someone. These ordinary weak vessels house and hold the treasure of all treasures. Now, why is the Apostle Paul using these examples of jars of clay and tents to teach the church in Corinth? Well, his aim is as powerful then as it is for us today. It's because when we love the right things, it leaves less room or little room for the wrong things. And conversely, when we love the wrong things, it leaves little room for the right things. Now, wrong doesn't exclusively mean sinful. It just means that our affections get disordered, which often then can lead us into sin. And our affections can get disordered around a lot of things. I mean, we can just live and aim to please ourselves. That can look like external things, like loving our bodies too much, being obsessed with how we look, diet, exercise, fashion, cosmetics. But it's not, that's easy. It's not always external. Sometimes it's just thinking about ourselves too much. We can actually be obsessed with ourselves about the negative things too. We can love our stuff too much, our house, our car, need all these certain things to feel secure or be happy, our possessions, our phone, our comforts. Or we can get caught up in the aim to please others, loving people too much. And I'm not talking about the 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. That's a selfless love that seeks to serve. But I'm talking about when we have a need to please those around us, to make sure that everybody is happy, make sure our husband and our our kids and our bosses and our family members are all happy at the expense of learning what it means to please God. 
And the problem with loving the wrong things is there's no room left then to love the right things. There's no room left for the presence of the Lord to fill. When our tent or our pot is filled with all of these loves, then there's less room for the presence of God to come in and our spirit to be renewed day by day. Over the last month or so, I have been doing a lot of cleaning in my house and organizing and purging because my house is filled with four adults plus all their people plus all their stuff and it just feels like there's like stuff everywhere. And so I've had to get rid of things that we love but we don't need anymore in order to make room. And so it is the same in our lives. So it is the same in the tents of our lives. Sometimes we actually have to purge everything things we love in order to make room for something we love more. And that's the work of sanctification. We don't want to just be white knuckling our way to heaven, just trying to resist sin with all our might and power. No, we want to invite the Holy Spirit to inspire a God-breathed greater affection for the things of the Lord and for the things of eternity. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. You see, loving temporary things too much crowds out room for eternal things. And it's not that God is like anti-joy and anti-stuff and anti-comfort. In fact, he created this world for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy that, but he is anti all other idols. He is anti anything that takes the place that God is supposed to take in our lives. Anything that becomes Lord of our lives over God. And when trials and tests and persecution comes, it reveals if we've fallen in love or become too dependent or formed our lives around temporary things. So how do you know if you have disordered affection for things? Well, you lose heart if it's taken away. And if there are things in your life that are disordered, again, I encourage you, come to our freedom session today. Deal with those things. Lay those things down at the foot of the cross. Let God break those things over your life so that you can rightly order and make room for his presence. So how does God grow our love for the good things? In 2 Corinthians 5, 8, and 9, it says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Inside of each and every one of us, there is a longing to go home, to be with Jesus. There's a longing for all things to be made new. There's a longing for the brokenness that, that burdens us in this world, that burdens us in our lives, that burdens us even just in our own physical bodies to be removed and taken away. But I wanna tell you that you are here now for a reason. And that part of what God is doing in your life is preparing you for the eternal glory that is to come. But the work that needs to be done needs to be done here. You're here now for a reason. Don't wish away. Don't wish away what God has for you now. 
You're here now, a part of this generation, a part of this world, a part of this family, a part of this church for a divine destiny. Lean into it. Open your heart to what it is that God wants to do and how he wants to glorify himself through your life now, now, in this season. Yes, the promise of eternity is coming. Yes, the promise of all things new is coming. Yes, this momentary affliction cannot be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us in the coming time, but you are here now. So let God do what he wants to do in and through your lives. Now, each of us lives in one of three ways and all these three things sort of compete for space in this limited capacity that we have inside of ourselves. We aim to please ourselves, we aim to please others or certain others, and our aim to please God. A jar of clay only has so much room to hold what is poured into it. A tent only has so much room to house residents. And this brings us to our third and our final comparison from Corinthians, and that is ambassadors. So after rooting everything in the exclusive finished work of Jesus, it all begins with Jesus, it ends with Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Paul writes to the church this, 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Did you hear that? You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This is why we're here. This is why we're here. God is making his appeal to the world through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And there's our key verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in Christ, we move from old to new. In Christ, we move from reconciled to ministers of reconciliation. And as ministers of reconciliation, Jesus removes our trespasses and entrusts to us the message of reconciliation. From this point, we no longer build our own brand. No, we're ambassadors. We're representatives of Christ. We're not our own. We live and we speak for the message of King Jesus. Good ambassadors love and represent the one that is greater than themselves. And as jars of clay, yes, we are broken containers, yet filled with the greatest treasure, which leads us towards loving the right things. And as tents, we're homes that house the presence of God, which leads us towards loving the right things. 
and as ambassadors, we are human representatives to those around us, leading us to show the way to loving the right things. And this is why the Bible uses an accounting term, being reconciled. In accounting, reconciliation is the process of comparing transactions and making all of the pieces line up. 2 Corinthians is imploring us on earth to be reconciled to God, to be filled with the love of good things and not to be afraid to let God through the power of the Holy Spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom to rightly order our affections. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you have never received this treasure, this free gift of salvation, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me today because it really is as simple as believing and receiving it by faith. And I just wanna invite the rest of our church family to pray this all together with our brothers and our sisters here today who may pray this prayer for the very first time. Together, let's say, dear Jesus, Thank you for your sacrifice for me. I believe you died and rose again so that I could be reconciled to God. Forgive me for my sinful ways. I want you to be Lord of my life. Thank you for giving me your righteousness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may live to please you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.